Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. And today we're talking about The Last Legion, a 2007 historical action-adventure film directed by Doug Leffler and produced by Dino De Laurentiis. And today also joining us, unfortunately Christy couldn't be here today, our, our third host, but we were joined by two wonderful guests from UT Austin, Drs. Ilet Heimsen-Lushkov and Pramit Chowdhury. Uh, Ilet just fled at the sound of her name. <laughs> I was trying to preserve the integrity of the sound. I do this for you. And this is very generous of you too, because uh, sometimes our guests get to review movies that they're very passionate about or, or movies that are very interesting. And sometimes we get to review <laughs> The Last Legion. <laughs> we, had a we had a very, very superficial local reason. Local reason? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, right? That's right, right. Yeah. So we usually start with our guests, and we'll just kick you off with the initial question, which is, did you dig this movie? I did. <laughs> I, did. I, I dug it very deep, yeah. So I believe the phrase, this is a gift, occurred, uh, and not for me. So mostly I thought this was worse than <laughs> Bedazzled, and as Ayala knows, I don't, I don't think either of you know, but my benchmark for worst movie ever is Bedazzled. It's the only time I've been in a cinema hall and contemplated leaving, but I don't know what kind of extreme FOMO results in you seeing through the last 15 minutes of Bedazzled, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what was the movie that the homeless person shouted at? That was, what's the Jack the Ripper movie? Uh, with Ian Holm. Anyway, it's a Jack the Ripper movie, and it was pretty bad, but then the poor guy who'd brought in his large can of Tenant Super was so disgusted at having spent, you know, presumably he didn't have a lot of money, and he'd spent it on this movie ticket. He just hurled his can of Tenant Super at the cinema screen and left. This was before Promet met me. <laughs> but anyway, I did not think that was the worst film I'd ever seen. I thought Dazzle was still the worst film I'd ever seen. But I think that might have been top. I mean, it had some good qualities. Colin Firth, for one, right? <laughs> the weird psycho boy from Love Actually. He wasn't the worst thing I had ever seen, but I can't claim that I have given it a thorough viewing. So I noticed that the cinematographer was a guy called Marco Pontecorvo, and it's like, it's not a common name. And I was like, oh, I wonder whether he's related to Giro Pontecorvo, who famously directed the Battle of Algiers and indeed he he is his son and I was thinking talk about like how the mighty have fallen yeah and just like the velocity <laughs> with which his father is spinning in his grave at this point <laughs> I don't I don't know how the Battle, the Battle of Algiers is from its favorite movie and benchmark for all like millennial dating like <laughs> all men above a certain age might pretend they're not deeply into World War II but the truth will always out. Sure. It's not it's not World War Two. It's it's a subtle difference. It's not like ten years out. So sure. like, you know, it's the same, you know. Yeah, it's the same kind of nerdy fondness for something that other people have validated. It, there's then, three, yeah, right? Sure. There's the Battle of Algier, Tora Tora Tora, and the Guns of Navarro. Mm-hmm. Bridge on the River Kwai, I feel That's, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this too has an ensemble cast. <laughs> One of the reasons I like this film so much is because they were clearly competing in some kind of enormous Easter ham contest. And it was it was kind of hard to know. Like Ben Kingsley, obviously. Oh, hands down. Yeah. But on the other hand, he's kind of, it feels like it's unfair to award him hammiest. Like, 
It's Ben Kingfield. I've, I've mentioned this story before, but I misquoted it on one of our earlier episodes. But there's a story from when they were filming the first Thor movie and Kenneth Branagh is directing and Ray Stevenson, who plays one of Thor's warrior companions, like approaches Branagh and he's like, I'm afraid I'm going a little bit like too hammy or like, should I like, it's getting too hammy. And Kenneth Branagh says something to the effect of like, don't just like dip your toe in the river. You need to wade into the river of ham and like, trust me, it's a river I've gone into many times. You'll enjoy it or something like that. So like, this is a, the river ham is, is, you know, very much. This is a waterfall over the river of ham. Yeah. No. I mean, it wasn't just the performances, but the way that as they shot their faces, it's as if the camera just lingered for a moment too long on the absurdity of the expression that the actor put on their face. When You, you know perfectly well they had the choice not to do that, but for whatever reason, they were like, screw it. I kept getting fixated and it was something about Ben Kingsley's beard and the way it kind of hugged his chin or went under, like his chin kind of stuck out just a little bit from below the beard that I couldn't take my eyes off in every scene. Because it's like every scene with with Ben Kingsley, it's like his whole face is the frame, basically. And I'm just looking at his chin. I feel like I could see every like groove and like pore on He basically just looks like a Morris dancer on coke. Like for the whole movie, wow, you're like cool. he's just, just there's like a there's a some kind of it's like a sausage roll or some product I can't remember in the UK and the figure that sells it the company's called Ginsters or something like that and the figure that sells it looks a bit like that Ben Kingsley right he's got the beard underneath and it's supposed to be some kind of you know leprechaun yeah like a le- but not not literally a leprechaun but a bit like that and that's basically it's like a welsh leprechaun is, is ben kingsley in this in this movie but like a really deadly <laughs> like a ninja ninja leprechaun from wales i gotta look this up later but... Eli, you mentioned earlier, we, we were talking just before Isla and Promet got here about you, you had something that you were biting your tongue to I, say. Like, I am astounded at how like nearly unwatchable this movie was. I would like to submit Kevin McKidd's eyebrows for hammiest because they just kept mm. going. And, like, he's one of the faces that I feel like got just like a little odd screen time. Everything about this I thought was so terrible. This is Wolfala? Yes. Yes, that's his, yeah. yeah. His, his face was like an enormous question mark. I don't know why he was doing anything that he was doing. Um, and it looked like all of the all of the goths or the barbarians or whatever they were all wearing like spirit of Halloween costumes that like came out of that bag. <laughs> it's like that fake fur and like a shiny plastic horned helmet. There's a moment in one of the scenes, and I couldn't tell. I, I had a, like a question I wrote to myself where Ashwarya Ray and, and Colin Firth are like fighting all those barbarians in the horned helmets, and like I feel like I saw the same guy get killed like three times. <laughs> or but maybe it was just maybe it was just someone in the same wig, yeah. or because they all kind of like they were in the same outfits, or like it felt like there were five extras, but they were just kind of spreading them out, so it seemed like there were like thirty people. Yeah, or something they have like very that. expensive cost. They might have just yeah. run out of budget at the point they paid for Ben Kingsley. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a bit at the end where they're like defending the fortress or the castle with that famous roman archery but the the kid is like fighting on the walls and then someone is supposed to knock the sword out of his hand but you can very clearly see him just hand the sword (laughs) (laughs) you know fair enough Uh. 
Also, why did he like go over the side of the walls? I'm sorry, I'm getting into plot. We, we, things we're, get, now, we're getting ahead of like... ourselves because I want to talk about that battle later. But maybe we should start uh, just to set the scene a little bit for this movie. So it's it's 460 AD, and Rome is simultaneously its most opulent and splendid and fantastic, and also <laughs> on the verge of collapse and being overrun by Goths. And so we we were introduced to Thomas Brody Sangster as a um, Romulus Augustulus, the last Roman emperor. Which, right from the first intro words, I'm blanking out. What the hell do you title call Title screen? <laughs> title screen, thank you. I like, My, the like uh, Yeah, the intro words. But a trope that I cannot stand, and I felt like even in 2007 was maybe a little overdone, which is magic blood and magic swords. Because the whole movie is incredibly fixated on the fact that this kid, Thomas Brody Sangster, is like destined for greatness because he's related to Caesar, which I feel like we can get into. He's talking about the great emperor Tiberius. And I was like... This movie does more to revitalize Tiberius's legacy than anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And yet, no minnows. I was thinking they might bring those in. But... No. Yeah. Now we can get into the minnows later. Yes, I was going to say, because they talk a great deal about Tiberius and not a lot about the things he was most remembered for. <laughs> and also just, they set up this whole like impressive pedigree that was like the sword of Julius Caesar handed down to his last descendant Tiberius, which I'm like, that was the second emperor. They didn't even go very far down the line. It was not his descendant. Yes. Okay, but also just like at the title screen, I was bothered because it said it was 460, but Oda Walker and the whole deposing didn't happen until like 476. There's like an actual date that they could have used instead of 460. (laughs) Like, why is it 16 years earlier? Like, what? So I, I don't know why we have a date if we're just gonna like smash things together again. Like, come on, guys. like a google search (laughs) i don't know i don't get it the fact that caesar had a magical sword right (laughs) sure it explains a lot yes also like i liked it once i got over my initial shock because as you know i'm a big fan of that horrid scene in troy where orlando (laughs) hands the sword of troy the sword of troy (laughs) and i you know I love that scene, and... Apparently so did the director of this film. Well, yes. <laughs> doesn't it predate Troy? No, this post-dates. No. Oh, this post-dates. No, this, well, this no. is perfect. This is what's so good about this film, because you know how in literature, authors present themselves as, like, prior to their predecessors. No, yeah. this one... That doesn't very... work in cinema, but apparently this guy was like, I will just pretend as if all of these other better films hadn't existed, and mine is a kind of... <laughs> Some kind of 1990s homage to the subsequent tradition. My very first note on my notes is actually, like, my synopsis is, this movie is a shittier version of a movie that is, in and of itself, a shittier version of another movie. Like, it's, like, triply derivative. It's, like... What's the the shitty movie that's the... So, this movie is trying to be King Arthur, which came out, I think... A few, maybe two years before oh, the this one with Clive. movie with Kieran Knightley. With Kieran. Yes. yes. This yeah, makes Clive that Allen. movie look great. That's yes, nice. exactly. That was, that was... It's got Mads Mikkelsen in yeah, it. Yeah, and the weird Tristan. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen is literally like a balletic picked warrior or something. I don't know what he is. He's like <laughs> he's literally doing like ballet or something, but martial ballet. It's it's okay. a fantastic movie. But even, like, that movie was kind of trying to be, like, Gladiator and Troy. Like, this is, like, it's, like, this movie's eating the leftovers of a movie that was eating the leftovers of Gladiator. Well, but what this movie is really trying to be is Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yes. They even had their, like, taking the ring over the mountains shot. Right? (laughs) And the little map. And, like, all the battles were Helm's Deep. Like, all of them. Yep. 
I had so little faith in this movie that when they were going over the mountains, I almost expected them to like get to the top of the mountain and be like, Britain, look, uh, or something like that. And then like, fortunately, they were like, okay, then it's Gaul, then it's Britain or or something. But apparently they had like four hours of cinematic material, including the crossing of the Alps and the the passage through Gaul, but they cut it out. Wait, so if everyone gets to see Zack Snyder's version of that movie, why don't I get to see the four-hour version of this movie? (laughs) We need a campaign right now. We live in a weird, brave new age of the internet where if we just get enough traction on Twitter, we could cancel a Sonic the Hedgehog movie and get a Zack Snyder movie re-released. I'm pretty sure that Colin Firth, like every single subsequent contract, had in it a... You will not allow talk of this movie to proliferate. We should talk about the cast because the cast is probably the most perplexing thing. Yes, and part perplexing. of the reason, basically, ninety percent of the reason Ayala and Promet are here. But yes. so I found there's a great relic from the sort of late aughts called Firth.com that's just sort of describing like all of the ins and outs of this movie, and particularly Colin Firth and most oh of God. the actors, Colin Firth included. They were looking for like. The way they describe it is, and you can watch interviews, there's a couple of interviews on YouTube and things like that, of just, you know, trying to get a change of pace. And again, I think trying to have a little bit of the lunch of, you know, Gladiator and Lord of the Rings. And Colin Firth was like, oh, maybe I could be a sort of, you know, gritty sword and sandal action hero. And I was originally going to say, like, I don't really think of Mr. Darcy as a action hero. But then, I mean, I thought he was great in Kingsman, but. Here he seems like his character in Bridget Jones's diary. He might as well be wearing a sweater. He just—I agree. Seems so unthreatening. You just want to kind of give him a hug. Like yes. I completely <laughs> agree. Yes. Like, he was he just... the sword. Let him do it. He seems like he's got a glint in his eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. I did not understand i was like i've seen so many movies where i love colin firth why is he acting so terribly in this movie like what is going wrong i mean i don't know i assume that that in the like after shooting party they all called kenneth brana and were like you said this would be fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah it like i mean good for them right they signed up a lot of people and good actors and presumably managed to keep all of them on set even as this like unfolded this apparently also was a a sort of a litmus test there was a weird law in the universe where if you were in this movie you got to be in game of thrones because and i counted there are one two three four five six of these actors are going to appear in game of thrones so we got obviously ian glenn so orestes and he's he's jorah we also get old jorah with james cosmo the big guy we've got alexander siddig who's dorn martell and he's the byzantine diplomat or whatever i forget his character's name and yeah whoever he is nanzo azoni is zaro zohan daxos mm-hmm. which i think he's one of the dornish guys no he's um one of the warlocks oh it's like season one he's like there for a few episodes that's right the give me back my dragon scene yeah yeah and owen teal who's alistair thorne on the wall and then robert Pugh is caster in north of the wall so n- not any like important part. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I mean, debatably, Ian Glenn, like Jorah, yeah. is a pretty. It's because uh, they're Scottish. Yeah. Like they needed Scottish actors to do Game of Thrones, yeah. right? To produce some, the North. you know, Northern accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they basically enlisted all the good Scottish actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And apparently they needed them for... Well, why is Odoacus Scottish? I have no idea, but... 
It's like listening to Billy Connolly or something. But anyways. <laughs> that would have really, that would have made my entire life. Which kind of makes sense. It's funny to begin with. but anyway. Colin Firth representing, you know, England. Yeah. Green yeah. Pleasant Land. You just need someone from Northern, Northern Ireland, Ireland and you're like, you're good. You're solid. Uh, I don't know that anyone's from but it, actually, checking boxes is very much what the cast is about. This, so for me, it is in the tradition of all of those films, but it also seems like a predecessor for... Now, well, you're going to have to bear with me, but have you seen The Meg? Yes. yes. Awful, like, shark <laughs> movie, right? And when I watched that movie, the one thing that filled me with the most dread was not, obviously, the shark, but the idea that this represented, like, globalised cinema from here on out. Like, basically, mm. all movies were going to be shots of hong kong sydney and like some other random city all of look all of which look indistinguishable from each other and then the cast would just be some kind of box checking exercise get someone from asia get someone from africa and and this movie felt a bit like that it was like we've got ashwari rai right we have we have a black actor and therefore we have fulfilled our obligations and we can have maximum capture of the audience <laughs> only we've neglected one thing small thing which is that the movie is terrible <laughs> the <movie laughs> felt very like that you know it felt like someone had done a great job on a powerpoint on how to make a movie mm-hmm. but that they were you know sadly a consultant and not in fact a filmmaker <laughs> yeah. well isn't the meg colin and i actually saw the meg together i think we did i believe was it at my house no we went to a movie theater wait we did we did we went to a movie theater because nick was in town and so we went to a movie theater and we got very large beers and we watched The Meg and laughed hysterically. But I think The Meg is based on a book, like a terrible yes. like <laughs> book. And this movie is also based on a terrible book. So I'm like, is that where our box checking is coming from? Like looking to weird, you know, drugstore paperback fiction to fulfill our cinema. Is the urge to buy those Valerio Massimo Manfredi books? I don't. Has any? Have you read them? I feel like I've. I've seen them in the I feel airport, like I've, right? I've bought one, but I don't think I've actually read it. Well, if um, you've read one, you've read like all of them, right? <laughs> I can't. I can't trust someone who's like named after Valerius Maximus. Like, <laughs> I have a choice quote from Martha De Laurentiis. She, she was talking about this movie. She says, "We base the idea on the book by Valerio Manfredi, The Last Legion, but combine that with historical facts and what was already known about the last Roman emperor. Nobody really knows what caused the fall of the Roman Empire, and we decided to use that backdrop of chaos to tell the story of the last emperor, a young boy, and his attempt to save the empire." The fact that he's only about 12 years old was the root of this story. So that's the producer's sort of synopsis. I hate it. I hate it. Colin Firth has a quote where he just talks about, I've never done anything like this. And I got really drunk. <laughs> Why not do something shit? <laughs> I mean, at what point... So, I mean, you're acting with people around you. You can all see what's going on. At what point did the dominoes start falling and like they just start winding each other up? Like, in the full knowledge that this thing's going to be a complete disaster. Like, there's no way they were in this, like, several days into filming and they didn't know what was happening. I mean, maybe there was a competition. Maybe that's why Ben Kingsley has that ridiculous Welsh accent. Like, they were trying to see who cracks. <laughs> well, no, I think that was their attempt to, uh, and, you know, I use the word loosely, but, right, historical slash mythical accuracy, right? Because oh. they, 
yeah, that was the the signal that he's Merlin along with. Well, there's the actually guys. an interesting Welsh tradition how the myth of Brutus coming over from Troy and kind of founding Britannia is sort of very popular in Welsh, and there's a lot of like Welsh receptions of Roman historical stuff. Well, I, so it. It's kind of perverse, but there is a way in which the, right, the, the Arthur Pendragon cycle and the Roman cycle kind of exist in the same mythographical milieu. Yeah, absolutely. But, so they, I thought that Merlin, like in the medieval tradition, the Roman figure who then gets blended with Merlin is Ambrosius, except for some reason here he's Ambrosinus. I've no idea why they decided to change his name. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I think that much was actually their attempt to, or, or Valerio Massimo Manfredi's attempt to, to, yeah. to name check this tradition that has this, he's called the last Rome, Am, Ambros, Am, Ambrosia. So I, I have a question actually for, for everyone, because I, I kind of knew going in, because I, I remembered from, I think I, I saw this movie more or less when it came out, or I probably downloaded it like from an unnamed site and watched it on a whim. But I was asking myself, like, does this movie think it's sort of pulling one over on the audience by having like a last minute reveal that it's a King Arthur story or like, is that just, a, we see that a mile coming? I mean, I don't know who sees Ben Kingsley at the beginning and doesn't think that he's Merlin. If you have any idea of what's going to happen later in the, in the plot. I was so... But yeah, at the same time, when oh, you see the I sword mean... at the end, it does feel like they're, they're winking at you. Like, oh, you, did, you didn't get this. Was it wasn't so much like a winking. It was more... <laughs> more like like i was just like you're not serious this is not like you're not going to seriously make this excalibur like this like no one can stoop so low and also i was kind of in disbelief about caesar's magical sword i was just like no there are lots of different etymological stories about excalibur sure um but i so i mean I, i appreciated the attempt to hang a kind of a narrative around that because that 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 is it is true this particular version is obviously completely made up but like as a, as a, you know the thing about all the like times that like the sword kind of pokes out of the water yeah there is there, there are definitely some lady of the lake type you know the iconography of the lady of the lake type illusions like when colin first pushes his sword through the water when they jump off the capri um yeah yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't believe that people wouldn't see the King Arthur thing coming when you when you know that there's going to be that British yeah. element. I just don't see that. Like, it's it's a really earnest movie. The movie itself feels very much like it's buying its own. Drinking its own Kool-Aid. Yeah. I feel like, so I had never seen this movie before, and I had never even really, like, heard of this movie before. We were like, what movies should we talk about on the podcast? And it was like, oh, this movie exists, and I never saw it. Um, and so I watched a trailer like an old trailer from 2007 and they make it pretty explicit in just the trailer for the movie that like this is an Arthur origin story and it was like oh so it's like I knew that going into it and I was like looking for it then I was like oh he's got to be Merlin and I was like oh this is obviously Excalibur (laughs) I was like kind of looking for other people i was like are we gonna have any other knights of the round table or something and i don't know i guess vortigan or or they couldn't quite agree whether it was vortigan or vortgin (laughs) which i feel like is the litmus test for a bad movie like if the actors don't agree on the pronunciation of a character's name and it's just all over the map because it just means nobody's nobody cares and nobody's checking (laughs) so uh, but like i guess if you know vort vortgin 
then you might sort of wise up because he's from Arthurian legend. I'm not super up on on my King Arthur stuff. Yeah, he's like what King of the Britons or something, and that's what they call him, don't they, in the movie? Or they call him like King of the Angles or something like that. Well, I see. So the most disturbing, like Arthurian illusion, was actually the Arthur Igraine, right? The so so the little girl is Igraine who gives the uh, her brother's armor to to Romulus before the battle, and I I, I remember this from from the movie Excalibur, but I mean it, it's well known that um, the way that Arthur ends up having sex with Igraine is that he gets Merlin, sorry, Uther. I keep on saying Arthur, Uther. Uh, gets Merlin to disguise him as Igraine's husband. And then after that, um, Igraine's husband dies and in, in battle, coincidentally, on the same night. And then uh, Igraine and Arthur. Igraine and Uther subsequently get married. But like, it's obviously super creepy, in, both in Excalibur, in the, in the way that that scene is filmed, but also in, in, the, in the myth. And yet here, it's just, you know, like, the boy from Love Actually meets up with some girl. <laughs> so gonna, do you want to play the drums and impress her? It just, it just, yeah. It's a very, very strange use of the tradition. They're like, they're very selective about what they're willing to to try to accommodate and what they ignore. Even just like in a weird sort of myopia towards history is just everything about Tiberius in this, where Tiberius is this like last great Caesar, and they go to his villa where sort of most famously he's known for molesting young boys at this villa dressed as minnows. And threatening to throw philosophers off the off the off the walls. Yes. Well so I thought I thought that, that was to the extent that there was a funny subtext, that was it. Like they were sending a young boy and effectively a philosopher to Tiberius' <laughs> villa basically to get tortured. Yeah. Right? But then obviously none of that actually happens. But then I was like that's too smart for this film. Like, there's yeah. no way that's actually what they're doing. <laughs> I, I doubt any of them has, has read Suetonius. Yeah. And so, again, they do a thing also very early on. There's, like, two kind of obvious, not quite, like, a save the cat moment, but, like, that, that scene in the movie where you introduce a character and you have them do something to, like, you get the, the, the sort of short, you know, version of who this character is. And so you have Colin Firth basically traumatizing the kid, of, you know, saying he's going to cut his hands off for thieving. But then later there's a scene where Colin Firth sort of expresses his distrust for poets and philosophers. <laughs> and then Ben Kingsley quotes, well, I say quotes, or Colin Firth mentions a line and then Merlin calls it out as Seneca. And then I spent way too much time trying to source this quote that they attribute to Seneca because it's sort of notorious of, you know, particularly Stoic philosophers, but also guys like Homer, where you like, you'll see these quotes flying around on the internet with a picture of their bust and these like quotes and if you've read like any Seneca or any Latin, you just kind of like, that doesn't feel like an actual quote. And I spent a long amount of time trying to actually source that quote and I came up with nothing. <laughs> it was like a the other day, I think they, uh, they said to me, um, well, they, they wrote in a, in a journal entry about, about a text. They said, as, as Emerson famously said, life is a journey, not a destination. And I was like, it's really unlikely that Emerson said that. <laughs> It sounds like a greetings card somewhere. (laughs) And uh, yeah, you can usually trace some kind of massive distorted, right, source. But I don't know. Could you you find anything that... Yeah, I came up with that, the particular quote that they cite, like in tons of like those websites that are like good quotes and brainy quotes and like quotes by Stoic philosophers. But of course, none of them ever come with like a 
source beyond just Seneca. Uh, so it's probably one of those. And I think somebody, um, like, I think Joel Christensen maybe on Twitter had something like they were, like, tracing back a bunch of, like, misappropriated quotes by Homer and, like, trying to figure out their origins. And, like, usually, yeah, it's some kind of convoluted passage where it's, like, like a loose adaptation of a translation of a paraphrasing or something like that. Or, like, something Edith Hamilton once said. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very strange. It's, I don't know, like... The Eastern Roman Empire, it's like the Washington football team. I'm like, that's not a name. And like their concept of the, it wasn't clear to me. It's like they only had one Rome set. And so once they've used it, they couldn't like have a Senate set or something like that. Like it was very, like even their use of Rome was, was very perplexing. And you didn't actually see very much of it. No. It's when his parents get killed and his mother gets hit with that <laughs> javelin and wins worst acting in the movie. Oh. I, I want to actually just, there's a weird call out, like the amount of times Kevin McKidd like picks up and throws some kind of weapon with one hand. So or like many times. I almost want to make a super cut where like just him throwing that axe or the javelin and just cutting it into other movies of people getting hit with like spears and javelins and stuff. <laughs> There's just in general a lot of objects thrown in this film. Yeah. Not yeah. just by him. Yeah, death by spear throw is was a, a number one cause of death in this movie. Yeah. Well, it has a really high body count for, like, a movie with very little blood. Yeah. Like, I guess we had briefly talked about the fighting, but which doesn't look like real fighting. It looks like I <laughs> compared it to Muppet Treasure Island, <laughs> like, fighting, <laughs> fighting with Muppets. <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's what it looked like because it looked like weird and comical they're like exaggerated and it looked ridiculous but yeah there's no blood like sometimes you'll see blood on someone's blade but it's like twice at the end it's like they're fighting through the whole thing with no blood they cut out two scenes to get the rating to be i think pg i think i can't remember if it was for the united states or for britain but there are two scenes that they cut out to sort of lower the rating and one was when odawacker cuts off Kevin McKidd's finger. Merlin's Raven, apparently in the original cut, like eats the finger. <laughs> and I would then, love that. <laughs> in, uh, and then also there's a scene in at, at Capri when they're the Colin Firth and Kevin McKidd are fighting. I'm calling them by the actors' names because I cannot even remember their characters' names. Aurelius. But they're they're fighting and yeah, Aurelius like basically slams Wolfula into like his axe or something like that. It sounds <laughs> like a small Yiddish boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and so that which is why like kevin mckid shows up with like a huge scar across his face in the rest of the movie because like supposedly like comfort like hit him with the axe but you don't really see it so he just shows up with a big scar ella did ask me what was wrong with his face (laughs) theo was really into it theo like was watching with us towards the end and i tried to shield his innocent little eyes and he kept pushing my hand away (laughs) but you had emailed me colin before we started watching and was like it's it's a bit rough so like prepare yourself so i went and read the the wikipedia article and i was all ready for like like a titus style blood feed and then there was nothing like they just don't it's like a shakespeare tragedy like they always tell you that this horrible things happen but they just happen off stage and that that was very confusing except for the weird like multi-spear thingy when they get betrayed by oh the machine gun spears (laughs) yes yes uh you still don't see that much blood no 
but they do try to revive the guy who gets hit. Yeah, he seems to convey that he might be able to save him. <laughs> He's got like seven pounds of metal penetrating through his entire body. Like no. it's like a scene from Lucan. Yeah, because I was going to shift gears because the, the also the the part of the reason we have Islet and Promet here is Ashwarya Ray. As this is one of I think five English language films she's done, and it was this it's like it was like Bride and Prejudice, which I love, I love. Yeah, and which like it makes sense like she was probably I mean again there's like a lot of like the decisions that different actors like why they took these roles is is we can only speculate. But then she does this, she does Pink Panther, and then I think that's the last English language film she's done to my knowledge. There's one called maybe The Spice Cellar where she talks to chilies. That was hurt, right? Yeah. Did yeah. we see it? Yeah. Right. We saw it. No, seriously, like the spices, like she's a spice seller and the spices tell her or something. And at fairly regular intervals, the, the dry chilies start rattling. And she was like, and she, she always says something like, are you sure, chilies? It's like ghost, but stranger. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I mean, I guess like she's been in an incredible amount of films. She's been in, I think, 46 films or something like that to date. So, I mean, I guess they're not all going to be winners, but... She deserved better <laughs> than this movie. You definitely... So here's the thing about, like, the the genre of acting in this film, while obviously ridiculous, is, in the sense that it over-dramatizes, bears some resemblance to the more comical aspects of Hindi cinema and Tamil cinema, or like the popular cinema, right? Where, you know, th- that that is just the nature of the acting. And it, people shouldn't be too quick to be like, oh, well, that is just because, you know, there's this cultural difference because within Indian cinema, you get a lot of variation. And in fact, I was reading an interview from 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 a famous actress of yesteryear, Sharmila Tagore, and she was saying that because she had acted in kind of art house Indian cinema, when she went to do Bollywood, she was like, I was kind of confused by what I was being asked to do, which is to over emote. So, so this isn't just a function of, oh, well, you know, this isn't perceived as, you know, overemphasis or over dramatization or whatever. You know, within that context, it is very, I mean, there is a hammy quality to it. Um, well, and so did- in some ways, to see her act is not to see her do something that different from what she does in a lot of other Bollywood contexts. But we had just seen on our podcast, we've seen her in Chokrabali. Which she's is a like, I, I was just about to say, yeah. And she is divine. Like, yeah, yeah, she, she's great. Like, we know, she can act. Like, yeah. it, it, is, uh, it is not a... So the actual, one of the reasons we're doing this because of Ashwarya, right, to go back to its, like, origin, is that I had just kind of casually slandered her as an example of right the type of acting that i was contrasting what with what was done by sean latour and some other people from the from the 1950s and 60s and then we were like well to do justice we have to see her do that type of film yeah. right you can't just compare you know two things that are unlike and so yeah so when we saw her in that film we were like yeah, she's great and she's actually not bad in this film it's I don't think either her or Colin first thought that they have the least sexual chemistry of any couple on screen I think I've ever seen. It was Painful. chased very <laughs> like... When she sneaks into his bed, he seems mostly confused. Yeah. And it also seems like completely unmotivated. It's like, you know, we, we cannot develop a narrative that's convincing whereby these two end up together. So she's just going to go into the tent and we'll get it over with. And, well, they also, they just seem to lie down in the bed next to each other fully clothed. Yeah, and... nothing, nothing seems to happen. I suspect that was her contract. 
Like, yes. I think she doesn't do, mm. like, nude scenes. And they, they often get things like um, body doubles and things like that. Like, I, I strongly suspect, like, the scene where she comes out of the lake, they're probably using a body double. Right. We talked about, actually, so in the Immortals movie with, with uh, Frida Pinto, mm-hmm. similar situation where, like, most of that sex scene with her and, and Henry Cavill, I think, is a body double. So, I mean, it was very James Bond, right, when... That, the iconic James Bond. The Ursula Yeah. Except without a bikini. Or with a Uber, like, whatever. A bikini, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, she, like, she's not by far the worst thing about the movie, but it hardly, like, stretches her acting muscles. I mean, people were stretched, just not in the ways I think that anticipated. Although, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I do want to give them credit where credit is due. They didn't try to make up some, like, stupid... You know, I'm just a poor Byzantine girl from like, you know, the inner reaches of Turkey. They actually made her Indian. That's true. Yeah. Which yeah. you don't often get. As, you know, like, you know, Naveen Andrews has now played, I think, every nationality between the Levant and East Asia. <laughs> right. And, true. oh, yes. What's his name? Eric Avari, who. Uh, he's something like on his Wikipedia says he's played something like 24 different nationalities. He has appeared in 33 films, over 70 episodes, and more than 24 ethnicities. Just this one guy. But that's like, I feel like very much like a sort of early 2000s where just like there is a very broad range of kind of, and also just like a, a willingness to sort of, you know, a, a insensitivity towards that kind of thing. Well, so you know how now people talk about, you know, diversity and like non-white experience and they, they talk about black and brown people, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, brown people is a big category a geographically non-contiguous category (laughs) do you mean mean hispanic people do you mean people from the middle east do you mean indians like who amongst us is not some shade of brown right and yeah it was very like that that whole period was very like it was a transitional period yeah i think that is yeah but, you know, I, I, I did appreciate that they, they actually made her Indian. I actually have no idea. Well, no, they also made her South Indian, which she actually is. I don't know that... So, I don't think Kerala, as in the word Kerala, was the official name for whatever state. It's like Travancore or something like that, which maps onto what is the modern state of Kerala. But I don't think it was called... So, the term when it grows out of... Tamil. Right. Um, I can't remember what the previous term is. But it felt like they were they were trying to come up with a place that made sense because it was the site of the pepper trade with Rome. And so there was a certain amount of sense to that. I think it also features in the Periplus, that that Greek map text. So so yeah, I, it was not only it was good from a kind of entering into the twenty first century multicultural you know somewhat true to the to the origin of the the actress right i i like that but it also i mean however implausible that some kind of you know tamil ninja was gonna fight for like the, i mean setting all of that aside it's not unreasonable to represent some form of contact between yeah. south india well i mean tisiphon's indica has like mentions of, of sambal porch in, in east india and yeah we have that weird like probably know more about this the weird pompeii i want to say pompeii lakshmi but that that sounds they found they found a statue in pompeii of of a goddess that looks very indian Mm. 
Oh, I think I can see it in my head, but I haven't. Yeah, and there was like discussion about whether it indicates right more Indic presence in Rome or whether it was like orientalizing or whether we are like superimposing stuff on it. But I mean, the, the point being is that it is ridiculous though it might sound, right? And, and with extra ridiculousness imposed by the context of the last legion, right? It is not, in fact, improbable that there would be an Indian person hanging around at the fall of the Roman Empire. But it's far more likely that her character would be there than that Brody Thomas Sanger is actually, a, his character is a direct descendant of Julius Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it was like, she does what she can, I guess. I don't know, is the whole martial arts thing like a real Indian thing? There are Indian martial arts that go back quite a long way. I very much doubt they looked like what she was doing, but you know, that that that, that kind of thing I don't, you know, I think everyone's yeah. prepared to, to be accommodating about. I mean, I have no idea whether there are seven grades that all might just be made up. Oh, and now I remember, right, in the, in the, in the King Arthur, they were Sarmatian knights, weren't they? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all, most of them are played by, well, I guess, like, no. one of these Sarmatians is Ray Winstone, who's, like, the most. <laughs> he just has a Cockney accent, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> well, and then, like, all of their names were still the Knights of the Round Table, right? Like, they were Gwaine and <laughs> Like, that's not a Sarmatian name, like, <laughs> Which also leads me to another, like, I think, again, I think where we're, the Arthur movie is, like, a little, we said at the beginning that this movie makes King Arthur look like Rashomon or something. But... <laughs> <laughs> the Battle of Algier. Yeah, exactly, the Battle of Algier. But, but King Arthur at least was aware of, like, religious tensions that would, you know, be a part of early Britain and, and late Rome. And this movie is is not even remotely interested in, in any sort of discussion of, you know, that it's very sort of hand wavy about what religion everyone is. And yep. I think his crown has a little cross on it, but that's about it. Well, I had to look up whether Oda Walker was Christian at this point, and he is. And so it's like, what? what? Ugh, I don't know. It's like, it's incredibly, like in some way, right? It is kind of, well, it's tragic in many ways, right? <laughs> but formally... So much happens off stage and so much is like kind of messenger speechy, right? Like like the bit where the Senate betrays them. What's the guy's name? John Hanna. John Hanna. Hanna yeah. I just called yeah. Jonathan from The Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what his character is in The Mummy. Or what he's in the funeral. funeral. I know that that's so much better of a character. I love him in that. And when he like says the eulogy, I cry every time. But I can't. He's always <laughs> Jonathan from the Mummy. I like can't. I can't erase no, it. That's, that's fair enough. But like, so so he's like, well, you know, the Odo Walker. He's now he's become a politician, and the Senate did this, and and the thing did that, and then they're they're like, at some point, like they just fill in things. Like somebody will just. Well, the whole Last Legion, right, is about <laughs> these people who feature very late in the movie yeah. and where everything is just reported. It's just like, I am the commander. It's like... <laughs> like particularly like that, because isn't Aurelius the commander of the Ninth Legion? Like, doesn't he recognize his own soldiers? Well, I, I think they, they say at the beginning that I think that, that Aurelius and his guys were, I think, serving in Africa or something yeah. like that. And yes. then, so they have, like, again... To like this movie trying to be Lord of the Rings, where there's a choice where after they get out of Capri, they're like, "Where do we go now? The Empire is is against us. The East and the West halves are gonna kill us." 
So where do we go? And then Colin Firth says, like, well, what about the Ninth Legion? And then somebody says, like, well, nobody's heard from them in, in ages or whatever. And then so they're like, well, we should let the Emperor decide, which is like I was thinking that's exactly the scene where they are trying to get over the mountains in the Fellowship. Yep. And Gandalf is like, let the ring bearer decide. And then he chooses Moria because, of course, at the time, Moria makes the most sense. But Gandalf is like sitting on that very choice bit of information that like, <laughs> Moria is actually bad. And it's, it seems like like the kid's decision to go to Britain is made off of most sense because like somebody just said like, oh, there's this one legion in Britain that might work. And like, like, he's, like, he's not really like acting on like full information. <laughs> but Colin keeps going around saying that he's the commander of the Nova Invicta. Right, and now my Roman numerals might not be the best, but like that suggests to me, right, that he is the commander of the ninth. I, I I don't remember. And also, I'm like I. I let's make a lot of gestures for those who can't see. Caesar's favorite legion is the tenth, <laughs> and I'm like, you couldn't have. It's like the it's like the day. I'm just like, you couldn't have picked the right legion. Yeah. I mean, Eli and I have already reviewed, what is it? The Eagle. The Eagle, which is, yeah, there's like so many movies, like Hollywood or, or paperback fiction writers or, or whatever love the Ninth Legion. It's one of those things that if you didn't really know a lot about Roman history, but like just experienced it in pop culture, you would think the Ninth Legion was a much, much bigger deal than it actually was because it features in so many like yeah. <laughs> books and stories and like YA literature and like this is now the second movie we've reviewed that involves the Ninth Legion. And so it's just this, yeah. Okay, I'm looking yeah. at the article. One theory per historian Theodore Mommsen, so like, you know, comes with pedigree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that the Legion was wiped out in action in Northern Britain soon after 108, the date of the latest datable inscription of the ninth found in Britain. So I'm like, you know, they've been, they've all been dead for 300 years. Like, but they didn't or, get, or really deep in hiding. They like, didn't really. get any help from Rome. They made that very clear. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, oh no. So the theory fell out of favor and, and suggests that the ninth may have been based in what is now the Netherlands. That's a better twist than the movie had. That they just I became agree. Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> and they're actually my ancestors. <laughs> they might have been involved in the Balkhofer Rebellion in Judea or Marcus Aurelius' war against Parthia. And that's it. In any case, it is clear that they did not exist during the reign of Septimius Severus. This is a very perplexing Wikipedia. You guys, well, you, you, if you haven't seen it yet, we got to refer you to The Eagle starring Channing Tatum, which which is also about the Ninth Legion. Uh, who else is that? Jamie Bell? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but that, that's also the, I think, the real, where the movie kind of probably most falls flat on its face is at the end where it's trying to be Braveheart or trying to be lord of the rings and and colin firth gets up to make a big speech and everybody and there's a sort of again like the ninth legion pulls a rohan and shows up but it's like because this movie is sort of so unoriginal and one might even say derivative you can see every twist coming like a mile away like like even like the reveal about a rise character right you can see that that reveal coming 20 steps in advance and then that the, the ninth legion is going to have a change of heart at the 11th hour but when they show up they're old and they seem to walk very slowly towards the battle. <laughs> so I was concerned that it was mostly going to be over by the time that they made the 200 yards from the top of the hill to the bottom. Well, I mean, it's good then that Merlin kills Vortigan, Vortigan and like holds up his mask because then everybody just like walks away, right? It's like all the droids uh, or all the clones just drop in Star Wars. They just like turn them all off. It's like, we're done. 
did I did I miss that or did it did they show the full so extent? He rips he rips it off and then he like pushes him into the tree. It's like that's on, on fire. fire. Yeah. And that's it. And that's right, it. Yeah. yeah. It was not very elaborate. No. No. I kind of wanted there to be a face-off moment where <laughs> yeah. see Ben Kingsley rips off his face and it's just Vortigan's mask underneath. But yeah, no, or or Ben Kingsley's own face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever established why Vortigan or whatever his name is like wears a mask? No, I might have Mandela affected this but like i had a memory that there was some accident involving a young merlin that like horrifically scarred vortigan's face but that that's not in the movie i think i made that up (laughs) (laughs) well he did seem to like have scars but i briefly wondered if he had just like burned the mask to his face and the mask was the thing that gave him the scars so i don't know is if he'd taken off his mask and actually it was caesar (laughs) (laughs) that would have been best Uh, yeah that was it's almost it was like unnecessary because like there was already a villain and then so they had Dodorak here right and then Wolfula and then they were like oh no we need we need one more mm-hmm. <laughs> we need a trifecta I mean, it was supposed to be some kind of you know confederacy of... an axis of evil an axis of yeah evil. <laughs> like the barbarians all got along and I think that was the conceit right yeah, but it, it, it ended up being... It was weirdly it. fascist. Like, the whole movie was just like, and freedom will pass from Julius Caesar, that famous Democrat, <laughs> to down through the bloodline of, you know, 400 years, yeah, 500 yeah. years of Romans to Britain, where freedom will thrive in the form of Arthur. Like, it was so... It was like, it was like uh, you know... It's like Boris Johnson, though. No, it's like the Percy Jackson nonsense all over again. Yep. It's like drawing a direct line between Rome and... Oh, next big empire. Next cool thing. But yeah, you're right. Like, really, it was like Colin Firth. I keep saying Farrell. Colin Firth was giving a speech that, like, kind of belonged in Braveheart. Yeah. It's a movie about fighting against an absolute monarchy. It's like, do these people know, like, which side? Like, they're on the well, side of the empire. Yeah, also, like, Vortigan, whatever, was, like, king of the Britons who live in Britain. <laughs> like, Romans are, like, the invaders. I'm like, you're not protecting your land. <laughs> what are you doing? It well, reminds- he's notionally protecting, like, the empire because as long as there is a caesar then there is like a roman exile or something like that but they don't even go on to have like some weird attempt to restore you know rome for the romans they're just like okay so we'll throw our sword into the rock because you know that's well because yeah it's the the script says that's what's gonna happen (laughs) and then and then that's it like and nobody like history continues to unroll and like some distant place and the british go off to do their own thing in that sense it is kind of accurate the other movie that it reminded me of i remember i told you uh including the speech was kingdom of heaven oh yes. and it yeah. felt uh, a, a p- cinematic mess well i was just like so colin firth has been out acted by orlando bloom Ooh. just a sad day for colin firth but but actually because it's ridley scott as you know as problematic as that movie is you know, it's it's okay. Yeah. It, it it still manages to you know, get its shit together much better than, than this one does. Well, the Crusades do have like the benefit of having two clear sides, so you can like you can argue about orientalizing notions of Saladin, but like even contemporaries were like, "You're a Crusader, you're a Christian, or you're not." A right. Christian, right. Whereas this is actually like 
Like the, the, the reason nobody knows how Rome fell is because there are too many complexities and sides and, and there's no like clear moments, right? The Crusades, like, you know, Pope goes to a cathedral and he's like, I announce a crusade. Well, apparently, and, and off they all go. Apparently, Whereas, it is very, very straightforward because what you have is true blue-blooded Romans descended from Caesar and some Scottish, you know, some Scottish Goths who, who were bad. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, they were, they, they actually were, like, you know, Romans descended from Caesar. They were just not Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could have been one of Caligula's many brothers or sisters. That makes right. sense. We need a Caesarian deep cut where they have to go yes. to Egypt or something. <laughs> like... Yes, Caesarian, that would have been interesting. They were in Africa anyway. Mm -hmm. True. You know, the Julia Claudia, like Aquapina. They do cite Alexandria. That, that's their place where they, they get their, their hand coming from. It feels like a throwaway line from like a, an Aladdin movie from the 60s or something. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Very much. Yeah, like, yeah, we could run up on a whole thing about like the hand cutting off motif being attached to Alexandria, but... Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> there were many Alexanders. It might not have been one that we think of. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was this very strange. Like they had all these options available to them, and it's almost like they deliberately picked the wrong one at, at every turn. Right. I mean, as someone who once graded a Roman history exam that literally said that Pliny the Younger was Rome's first and best emperor. Pliny the Younger was Rome's first, first and best, best emperor. And after him, the empire went into decline. Yes, sure, sure. I wish Pliny could have read that. <laughs> <laughs> he would have loved that. <laughs> I mean, wherever he is, I'm sure he feels very validated. But you know, this tops that. Haven't they read Gibbon? Um, what happened to the director? I didn't... This is his last directing credit. <laughs> he should lead with that he so doug leffler he he was recommended for this film because so Raffaella de laurentis was one of the producers worked with him on the prequel or not the prequel sorry the sequel for dragon heart there was like a direct-to-video sequel for the dragon heart movie no. that doug leffler directed and, and before that he had directed a few episodes of, of hercules and, and maybe a xena episode too and he comes to the sort of directing chair from like the art side. So he was like a storyboard guy and like an artist and an art director. And it seems like he's basically just gone back to that. Like he's been attached to a couple projects, but as like a storyboard artist or like the art director or something like that. So I, I don't, I can't, I can't say for certain, but I suspect this movie sort of nipped that in the bud. I mean, what's the half-life on a movie like this? Like, how do you get back in? I mean, sometimes like a director, you know, you can build up enough goodwill that, even a you know a bomb or two may not necessarily sink you or and sometimes you maybe get like a renaissance like i think like m night Shyamalan's having kind of a renaissance mm -hmm. although it's mm -hmm. but yeah he didn't have enough sort of credit or karma in the bank well it seems like they did spend all of their budget on the big names actors because the rest of the production budget seems to have been squandered <laughs> i don't i don't know where it went so i would like to think that you know with the bit more money that a director could maybe have done something slightly more, but I, I, I don't know if I would if I would give him a second chance. I don't know who would have done a better job on this. I'm only saying this because Eli and I were just talking about Dune before, but David Lynch. Um, <laughs> 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 it's like you know four hours. David long. Lynch should have just been given this version and then free reign to add, but not to change. Or I don't know, like uh. 
Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can just imagine the scene where they're standing right across each other. Like, I guess that's the end of Rome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then he like pours himself a glass of wine or something. You know, love actually. In fact, I would have gone further and cast Hugh Grant as either Bridgen or. Oh, that would be so beautiful. They're all out with the Bridget Jones thing. Yeah, they could have had yeah. Colin Firth and Hugh Grant. Yeah. yeah, and then well, because you know, apparently they cast Colin Firth first, and then the the kid. And apparently, the fact that they had experience working together benefited both. Here's the crazy part. Well, not that crazy, I guess. But Thomas Brady Sangster is just kind of one of those. He's like a perpetually young-looking person. He's actually like almost exactly my age, which Whoa. would mean that this movie came out when he was seventeen, and that. Boggles my mind. I hate it. <laughs> <That's> poor kid. <laughs> he always looks like a psycho. He's a psycho in love, actually. He's a psycho in love. Well, he's just, he's very, his creepiness comes from his kind of obsessive focus in love, actually. Yeah, but here he's hes the same. He's just like okay, really yeah. abstracted. And then he has that line where he's like, so my ancestors built my prison. Like, <laughs> I liked him in The Queen's Gambit. I thought he did a good job. In this movie, he's the kind of kid that, like, when you're, like, a parent and you wake up in the middle of the night and, the, and your child is standing right next to your bed just staring <laughs> at you, that's, like, that's this kid. No. <laughs> I don't want Liam Neeson to be in this movie because Liam Neeson oh, seems yeah. like a guy who takes a job for a paycheck. And this seemed like the kind of movie where he would have been only too happy to take the paycheck. Judy I mean, also, it involves transporting this boy from one place to another place. So really, it could have either been Liam Neeson or Jason Statham, like either of them. Yes, beautiful. I would have loved that. I, I mean, this is, with, with movies like like uh, like The Last Legion, you, you kind of, you have to imagine what is the purpose of making a movie like that in 2021, say? Like, if you're going to rework the matter of Britain. Matter. Yeah, I mean that's what it's called, right? The the matter of Britain. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna rework it, like how are you gonna do it in a way? That's, I mean, I remember we watched that was another. So we went in the cinema. Remember we watched half an hour of Tristan and Isolde, and it was so boring. Oh yeah. Stopped. You know, like those. You know, those uh, those medieval chivalric things. Like it, it, it's hard to make it work well. I've, can you think of a good example? Recent. I don't know. Well, so there's. I I like, have a. It's it's not a good example, but I love a Knight's Tale because it doesn't stick to any sort of like historical accuracy. It's like telling a story, and you really care about the characters. They just happen yeah, to. Be because of that, like there was that phase, like that, and the Tudors, right? Where they like. Yeah. Rose, rose in the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. which. You know, worked. I thought worked quite well, but yeah, it wasn't really. Uh... I mean, I I liked Excalibur. I thought Excalibur was. If, have you seen Excalibur? Yeah, it's been many years, but I definitely I saw okay, it. It's, it's worth another look. I mean, it obviously you know it wears its age, mm -hmm. but like it is unflinching about the fact that that you know that chivalric set of tales is like it's pretty grim, right? I mean, it's people basically having sex with other people without consent in various different forms, like including Uther and Igraine, and people like like Mordred killing his father, right? And and so 
it, it actually embraces that side of it. And it was an oddity at the time, although you know people are kind of quite fond of it. But definitely it feels like a movie for the moment now. But the way in which it's treated is invariably not like that. It, it actually tends to be much more sanitized. I mean, this is an extreme version, but like even the the Antoine Fuqua one, right, tended to be much more focused on the battle sequences. There was a little bit of intrigue, right, with because it's the Christian, right? He's a he's a representative of the church, right, who betrays Clive Clive Owen, right? Uh, yeah. Well, the, there's there's it's like two things. There's um. Like it's like the Saxons are invading, and then the Rome's pulling out, and then so he had, there's like two plots where there's basically like Arthur has to go rescue some nobleman who for some reason lives north of Hadrian's Wall and reconcile with his own Britishness versus Romanness and something like that. Like that's kind yeah, of yeah, and I think that's the mistake. Like actually, you know, if you're gonna deal with the Arthurian stuff, you you need to focus on the messed up interpersonal, interfamilial. Like have you seen i was gonna ask have you seen green knight yet no should i i've seen i think trailer. you should okay i liked it for just the sort of simple reason that it is a movie it was like such a breath of fresh air of like mm-hmm. movie going experiences because it was like it felt more like an art house it was like surreal and weird and i mean people some people might say it's pretentious i don't think it's actually that pretentious i think it was interesting as hell yeah but it like it really like gets into like the kind of bizarreness of arthurian legend and like the sort of nonsensical because it's a couple of different they don't do all of the discrete parts of like the Gawain story but like like there's a few sort of episodes but it gets like more and more sort of dreamlike as he like gets closer to the green chapel okay and i think well, it's or or Vortgen's mask i i was reminded of the trailer of uh the green knight right because it isn't there mm-hmm. he wears that very elaborate how yeah. i could right? think of was like the man in the eye oh yeah <laughs> But I, I had another thought, which was sort of also even like, but yeah, like a sort of even like straight up Arthur, because Guy Ritchie just did a King Arthur movie that I think flopped very hard, but it was a very astonishing. I <laughs> King Arthur Legend of the Sword came out in 2017. I think I saw that on an airplane. Yeah, and it, it just was very strange. And there was a Robin Hood movie with um the guy from Kingsman, yep. Taron Egerton. Yes. And just these these movies are not like I think they're trying to get back to like Excalibur and Prince of Thieves and stuff, but just where moving going audiences for whatever reason are not like we're past that. I don't know. So Eli reminded me that the other thing as I was watching this movie that I was thinking is that you know everyone talks about oh, oh you should really see like June or whatever you should really see it on as big a screen as possible, and I was thinking. You should see this on a smaller screen as possible. Like, if you could see it on your watch face, then you might be lulled into thinking it was actually okay. But as soon as your screen hits, like, four inches, like, phone-sized, then its weaknesses become very apparent. So a plane would be... Not a plane today, because the screen's... You want to see this on an Aeroflot from, like, 1980. Oh, my God. To be fair, it's not let down by the cinematography. Or rather, the cinematography is not what left this movie. No, Marco Marco did right by his father, cinematographically. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Well, but as Eli pointed out, right, like, there isn't anything other than the beautiful scene of Capri, right? Yeah. There's not that much to film. Like, it's kind of weird. I understand that they didn't have a budget for, like, you know, props, blood, <laughs> like, Rome. But, like, it's the British countryside. Like, why can't you take a shot of, like, the actual landscape that's decent? Like, Peter how Jackson you know has already shown you how... Well, it could be it's the Bulgarian countryside. It doesn't matter. But, like, 
they don't even seem able to film landscape. What? Because like it's all like you know. Well, it's painted. There's like it's like a sound screen. It looks like everything was shot on a green screen stage with like a painted backdrop. Right. <laughs> Another like weird little like bizarreness nitpicky is that when they first get to Hadrian's Wall, and they're like, ah, oh, Hadrian's Wall, and they're like it, the way that's shot, it looks like they're coming at it from the north or something like that. It's like <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Well, here's another nitpick that just occurred to me, which is what happens to all the other legions, right? Like, I don't know. Like, they're still there. Again, in the like the 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 messenger speech, I feel like John Hanna has something where like maybe they've all defected or whatever or right? sworn to yeah. Odoacker. The ninth is not the last legion; it's the only legion that they could see. Only legion. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not a legion unless there's a Caesar. I think that's that's the thesis of this movie. It's just yeah. it's just sparkling soldiers. <laughs> it has to come from the C- Caesar region of Rome. <laughs> that has to be your best work yet, Colin. Thank you. This, that's the second time I've made this joke on that podcast. <laughs> it keeps on giving. Yeah, it's a very like when I was watching it. My like main preoccupation was. Why did they keep making it? Like at some point, presumably on day two, they must have been like, well, this is not going to end well. And yet, they didn't just cut and run. Like, like, you know. Well, I mean, I quite like the idea that on day three, they started to act better. And then the director was just like, no, we can't refilm days one to three. You're going to have to stick with whatever you were doing. (laughs) Like the the Ewan McGregor Star Wars. Oh, Ewan McGregor Star Wars is a great example. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder sometimes when films like this come out, if it's like, am I witnessing like a tax write-off or like like some kind of, like it feels like somebody owed somebody else like a bet or like some kind of obligation or like this is the weird, you know, the sacrifice we have to make for like for every Battle of Algiers we've got to make one of these movies to like restore, you know, to like appease the gods or whatever. Balance. On the Wikipedia page, it says it's premiered in Abu Dhabi, right? Which is really, really weird. Not, I don't think of Abu Dhabi as like the movie capital of the world, but. There was also, there were a lot of like inexplicable characters, like the Demetrius, pretty boy. Mm -hmm. Is that Rupert friend? Yeah. Yeah. It was just kind of there, Mm -hmm. like just hanging around. And well, he was there for some physical comedy, basically. Yeah, but he didn't seem to serve, like, an actual... He held the torch. He was a box check, because I think it's like, if yeah. you're going to make this kind of movie, you need this amount of, like, the, the ensemble of characters, and then there needs to be types, you know, A, B, and C. And he's, yes. you know, type B. And then, you know, I'm wondering if one of the boxes was, like, the studios had some or something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> some rando, yeah. I don't know who in this movie. I mean, every, everyone was... I mean, that was the surprising thing, right? Everyone actually had some credibility. I don't know how, like, everyone... Like, Ian Glenn's a pretty good actor. Well, um, I don't know how... Like, there must be, like, an NDA somewhere because it, it is entirely unclear to me how everyone, like, survived this movie with... Other than Doug Leffler, <laughs> with their <laughs> career intact, right? Mm. Like, how did Ben Kingsley ever act again? Oh, well, I mean, but I think, you know, presumably Ben Kingsley says stuff like, oh, that was a terrible movie. I was was just kind of joking around. The, the the cast of cats are you know still alive. And, that's true. Like, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there, there there is that. There is that. I mean, I don't know. Part of me wants to one time like do. I don't actually want to do a course on it, but it it, it would be fun to like put together all of the random movies about 
the fall of Rome and like Arthur and stuff and just show them to students without any prep and be like, okay, <laughs> so how does Rome fall? <laughs> and just see what they can like reverse engineer out of it. People are really fascinated by the fall of Rome and I couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but this movie actually wasn't. That's the funny thing. Like, even though a major plot engine is the supposed fall of Rome, actually it just had very little interest in that. Yeah. Well, it had very little... Everything was kind of just narrated as dressing for a set of sequences, right? It's like the rescue sequence. And then presumably at some point they wanted a crossing the Alps sequence. Yeah. Um, you could argue this movie also had very little interest in Britain either. It's kind of yeah, fell yeah. between those what, two. What is, it, what is that about? I think it's about the sequences. I think it's about the sword. <laughs> that, I knew. Well, see, so this is why, so with the Antoine Foucault movie, the reason why I thought it was fine, right? I mean, I didn't think it was as bad as everyone else thought, but I also didn't think it was good. It was, it was fine. It is the he actually was pretty good at filming. It was a bit like Predator, right? You had these individual matchups, mm -hmm. and he was pretty good at filming them. Like, it was just, he'd done this, what, shortly after Training Day? That one came out, I think, in 2004 or five. and I'm trying to think when Training Day Yeah, was. but, I mean, he, he knew how to shoot a scene. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. just a little shallow, but the striking thing about this film is that Yes, fine. I mean, you have no ear for dialogue, for, like, Botman, <laughs> right? None of that. But, like, at a core, you need to be able to shoot a scene. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can't do that, then yeah. it's just not going to work. Yeah, tra Training Day was 2001, King Arthur was 2004. And that was his fifth movie? Feature film, I guess. Replacement Killers is his debut. What happened after um, after King Arthur? Did you recover from that? <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he's, that's, he's got a... Uh, goes on. He did The Magnificent Seven in 2016. He's directing uh, two films that came out this year, The Infinite and The Guilty. Uh, and he's got a movie that's TBA for release date, but it's called Emancipation coming out in the future. He also directed Olympus Has Fallen, which is, was one of those, I think that's one of those movies that I confused with another movie, but it's one of those movies where the president is kidnapped and the White House blows up or something like yep. that. I think I also watched that on a plane. There were like two that came out like back to back. I will say that, you know, as a classicist, right, a lot of what you do is, is read literature that is objectively quite bad, like Silas Talkin. <laughs> And pretend that it's quite good. <laughs> and this movie is kind of like that, right? Like you can see, you can see the skeleton of lofty forms like Greek tragedy, and you can see like good actors flailing around, and you can kind of see what they're going for, but it's all like sound and fury signifying nothing. And I feel like that is. A lesson to those of us who, who deal in derivative literature that some things are better left to die on the shelf. But yeah. Or oh, Silas's fan club is going to be writing you angry letters. Yeah, yeah. Aren't you it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying this, that Silas is as bad as this movie, but like, you know, as we've come to kind of think about belatedness and being derivative as, as kind of standard and not necessarily like a bad thing but it has to be executed well right and if you put this movie which right like colin said kind of just tries to eat the leftovers of a bunch of other movies right and you put it next to something like ocean 12 then you can see how 
a good movie and a bad movie like do being belated or derivative. But right. one of them, right? Ocean Twelve is a great movie, but this is not. Yeah. <laughs> right? Even though arguably you can you can strip them down to basic and not end up with like. 2,000 years ago, historians might have right, very, very misleading ideas of how these two movies relate to each other. Um, no, but that, that, that's right, yeah. You, you, need to understand, you need to understand your genre. I think the, 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 the weird thing about this is that, you know, we've all cited, like, so many different examples, each of which have their flaws, but you can kind of see how more or less they overcome them to arrive at yeah. some quality. So you know how- Despite all of that existing... Like and and this guy seems to be unable to. Do you know how when you pitch like a very initial idea, you're just like, oh, it's like Game of Thrones meets Lord of the Ring meets Annie, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And clearly, this was like that, and it just didn't progress, <laughs> right? And then we're just like, it's Lord of the Ring meets King Arthur meets a Shire Ray. <laughs> yeah that's like i'm sort of thinking like because we've eli and i and, and and christy have talked a lot about just sort of like like what's the point of reception if either a you're not gonna like i love saying like either do something new or or, or or do it better like and the the dangers of adapting sort of very kind of formative or foundational stories like if you just do a straight adaptation of perseus it's gonna come off as really sort of dull and kind of derivative because we've had so many takes on already and like this movie almost seems like it would have come out before like this was a stepping stone to a movie like gladiator or braveheart or something like that but in fact is working the other way around it's again i think maybe kind of like silas italicus and not to just dunk on him all day but oh in terms of modeling yeah but what we're we're looking for is a statius we want a thabayad i mean that that is what we yeah i mean when you do one of these films in 2021 that is exactly i still like this is one of my great grievances not great but one of my like is that statius like it's it's just begging for like a hollywood production i don't even know like how you would do it but it just it's so like cinematic and so like we keep we talk about like like certain events and certain people from the past basically suck up all of the air from the room like how many julius caesars how many cleopatras few alexander the greats how many troys but like we never get a thabayad or a you know a a seven against thebes or anything like that when there's a lot more sort of fertile ground out there but that's just maybe us being like read silver latin literature (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you just you need the you just need the hook right i mean the hook can be the actor the hook can be you know whatever it could be some technology that you've developed that means that you know the story is going to be powerful in some other way i vote for a hemsworth yeah. Liam or Chris? You get Hemsworth. Doesn't both. matter. Both. Well, that's the beauty of the debate. You can that's have true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. very true. See actual brothers actually. <laughs> yeah. You you can have everyone. Everyone. That's the thing about Stacia's. Like they're all just like ripped all the time and sweaty. Like <laughs> well, Tidius and Polynices wrestle like right in book one. Yeah. There's there's your box office right there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just begging for... for a, Plus, it's a, really camp. It's and, super camp. As, like, as, yeah. as I was saying, literally, like, I point this to students sometimes, like, they're always sweaty, they're always shining and glistening and, you know, bulging. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, yeah. it's there. You don't need to do it. You just have to cast the right people and the, the thing directs itself. And then you can do the accolade, the, you know. Well, the survival also helpfully structures your, your fight sequences. Yes. Sorry, I'm now distracted by thinking who would play Achilles in the Achilles. 
this is, this is a appeal to to all of our listeners who have no idea what we've been talking about for the last five minutes. But a, a <laughs> Roman, a play or not play, geez, a poem by a uh, sort of later Roman author named Stacey. It's called the Thebaid. Go read it or read about it at least. Read the wiki, bare minimum. <laughs> Come on, the accolade. Yeah. yeah. So I think we probably I should let you two go. Oh, because we can monopolize all your time talking about this movie <laughs> next time we film on this podcast though we want a good movie you should pick the movie yeah, next time because you... i'll keep slinging shit your way but <laughs> <laughs> you know i i vote for moana i've always <laughs> held that that was a and i need begging to be exposed so thank you i let promise thank you so much for coming on the show if people want to find you or hear more from you on the internet or elsewhere where should they look well, so we have uh, our own our own podcast where we so we're in between seasons right now. And our first season was about like good cinema. It was Bengali art house cinema, and now we're on a hiatus and we're gearing up for season two, which is about Israeli cinema, which somehow ended up kind of being about sex and bro movies. So it's, it's quite a so we were a we we were and are Calcutta art house because yeah. our, our our films were from Calcutta, yeah. but. We have not renamed the series. Yeah. I think that is just going to be our name, but we're going to take Calcutta Art House to the various cinemas of the world. Yeah, we're going to bring stretch it as our well. now our legendary ignorance yes. to uh, uncharted territory. Irreverent and, and uninformed. That is, that is us. It's, um, it's all it's all happening, um, and we will have season two soon-ish. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. All right. In that case, I think we're we're gonna we're gonna release you. You can return to Theo and Ella. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.